Ghosts Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. And tonight on Real Ghost Stories Online in our very first anniversary episode. That's right, we're turning one years old today. Yay! Yay. We had cake, too. A pair of newlyweds live a not-so-happily-ever-after life. Can their rocky marriage survive a shadow man? A very young girl born during a satanic ritual gives hospital staff the fright of their lives. Ooh, kind of sounds like Rosemary's Baby. Kind of. Uh, that, that's compelling. Uh, what uh, Was this little one born to be bad? A budding young love is destroyed in an inexplicable third party. Would you date someone if you knew their house was haunted? A leisurely stroll in the park ends as anything but. What would compel a father to yell for his family to run for their lives? All that and more, along with your calls, including uh, Cisco, going to join us later on in the show to talk about an experience she had last year on the battlefields of Gettysburg on Halloween night and a story of helping some of those soldiers cross over. Very compelling story to share with you later on in the show. Very much so. Here at uh, Real Ghost Stories Online. Our phone number is 855-853-4802. Being our anniversary episode, we're going to make this episode a little bit extra long for you. Just uh, a little specialness. We just want the party to keep going. Yeah, and we'll probably eat cake midway through, too, so you'll hear us reading ghost stories and eating cake at the same time. It's not an EVP. It's It's, not. It's it's just just fondant. It's fondant stuck in my teeth. (laughs) It's all that is. Uh, If you're not an EPP yet and you enjoy the show and you want us to continue doing the show for, say, another year or two or 20 or 30, uh, please consider being an EPP and uh, help us support the show. That's uh, how we get our support. That's how we get the financial backing to do this show. Uh, the more folks that were out there listening to the show, uh, the more costs to put it out there. And this last year, 1.6 million downloads of Real Ghost Stories Online. So a lot of you have enjoyed the show. So if, if you're one of them, consider supporting it. Five bucks a month uh, at realghoststoriesonline.com. We give you a bonus episode every single week. And if you don't want to do the, uh, the $5 a month thing, you'd just rather subscribe for like a year, that option is now available to you as well. Awesome. So you can just click that. Uh, there's a little drop-down menu there. You can do the 5 bucks a month, or you can pick all the way down to a yearly donation, uh, which is 60 bucks a year, and then uh, you're an EPP for the entire year. Don't have to worry about it getting drafted out of your account every month. It's there. You're good to go, and uh, you're supporting the show. So that's what really matters, and uh, thank you if you already are, and if you're about to, thank you in advance. Uh, to kick off the show tonight, call or letter, what should we go to? I don't know. What do you want to do? Let's ask Mr. Ouija. Here, put your fingers on the pen. Nope. Uh, let's just do a call. <laughs> uh, it's Ouija Awareness Month. I just was testing you. That was that was a test. I know to say no to the O. There you go. That's a new one. Mm-hmm. If you put that on a t-shirt, people are going to think you're referring to something else. Yeah, they probably are. They're like, what do you mean you're saying no to the O? It's our inside <laughs> joke for our... Are paranormal yeah. people. And they look at you really strange. Yeah. Uh, 855-853-4802. Hi. Hey, Tony and Jen. This is Ren again from Portland. Uh, I'm delivering Sunday papers. 
Hold on a way home, I'm gonna start getting drowsy, so I figured now was the perfect time to call um, and tell you another story uh, that I was reminded of because something happened the other day. And uh, hopefully you can hear this right. I'm uh, hands-free right now, so I'm talking through the microphone and my earbuds. Anyway, um, in 2010, my, I, I guess I should preface this by saying, as I've said before, the paranormal has always been a big part of my family um, and culture, uh, you know, Filipino thing. And uh, so in 2010, my mother's fight with breast cancer was taking a turn for the worse. We were in New York, upstate New York at the time, or central New York. I was apprenticing at a winery. We were going, I planned to open our own winery and I was apprenticing at a winery for three years. And we decided to drop it all so we could um, you know, spend my dad, my, my mom's last days with her together as a family with the grandkids and everything together. And um, so we moved all the way back to California um, to be together. And uh, good thing we did because in a couple months uh, she passed away. And, um, you know, part of the reason I came back to California was because my mom and I talked about it and we knew that my dad would be a mess and he wouldn't be able to handle the responsibilities of, you know, getting everything together, organizing the funeral and everything else because she had a feeling she was not going to survive, wasn't going to survive this. And my wife is pretty emotional too and she knew she wouldn't be able to handle it. So that was my job. So, um... When she passed away, uh, actually before she passed away, we had an agreement. Uh, like I said, the paranormal is such a big part of our family that her and I had an agreement. Um, I, if you had anything to tell me um, from now until forever, you know, tell me in my dream because I don't think I can handle seeing you walking around my house or your house or whatever in the middle of the night while I'm in my underwear trying to get a glass of juice or something and I see you in the kitchen, I think I would die and uh, we would be together a lot sooner than you were expecting. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, so that was our agreement. Uh, and we, I went about organizing the funeral and a week later we had the wake. Um, and there's a lot of suppression of grief going on, which I tried to use to explain this to myself later on. But, uh, Friday night, it was the first day of the wake, I was working on the eulogy um, to read at the mass for her burial. And um, I guess uh, for the, from the whole week of suppressing my grief um, and working on the eulogy, I think the emotions just got to me. I started to break down, like really, you know, started bawling and, and uh, you know, losing control. And then right when that happened, I uh, got this strong smell, like, overwhelm my nose of uh, of the smell of the room, of the wake she was in, you know, with all the flowers and stuff. And then she was very popular amongst her friends and stuff, so she had a room full of flowers. And I know you have gotten this before, but the smell wasn't faint. I mean, it smelled like, you know, somebody went around the wake room and picked up the selection of flowers, put them together in a bouquet, and then just decided to beat me across the face with this bouquet of flowers. That's how strong it was. And I felt this presence of, you know, being held, like somebody was hugging me. 
And for the longest time, I try to explain it that, uh, you know, due to the grief and everything, my mind was playing tricks on me. Um, but like I said, at that point, she had been dead for a, a week. And there was no other signs of visitation or anything like that. No weird dreams or feelings or anything like that. And so I took it for what it was. It was a weird occurrence, and I chose to view it as my mom comforting me and, uh, you know, saying you can get through this. I know it's hard or whatnot. Um, but just the other day, I was reminded of this story because my wife is going through a whole bunch of really ugly shit with her family, and, you know, she was breaking out on the couch crying. Uh, and my wife has always identified with my mom more than she did with her own mom and her family. I mean, my mom and dad more than with her mom and dad. <clears throat> and my mom and dad loved her like, uh, you know, their own kid. So she was crying and saying, you know, this and that and regretting certain things about her family. And all of a sudden I see her eyes shoot wide open and uh, then she starts bawling even harder, but this time she's smiling and crying and smiling. I was like, what the hell's wrong? <laughs> and uh, she said, all of a sudden, she said she felt like somebody, like like the same sensation I felt, like somebody just beat her across the face with a bouquet of flowers. And, and like she said, she literally felt hands encircling, like hugging her from behind, going around her shoulders and squeezing her really tight. And she said it smelled like a bouquet of flowers, and I really think uh, my mom still watches over us and, you know, through times of emotional stress, you know, does what she can and lends emotional support and whatnot. And I think that was her way of saying to my wife, like, you know, I'm still here. I still love you like my daughter, and you'll get through this. So I thought it was a cool story because although there's no visual... Um, confirmation it's two separate events that were very similar to each other and uh, during times of emotional stress and like I said I don't think it was anything rational because um, we would have slightly different experiences but our experiences were pretty much exactly the same and I speak to my dad sometimes and he says he smells that same smell from time to time too like and he feels like my mom's presence in the room and he just chalks it up to her visiting and checking up on him and whatnot so anyway i hope you enjoy the story i'm almost home so this uh plan worked and uh, anyway have a great sunday or whatever day you're reading the song if you decide to read it and um read it i mean play it and uh, I'll call you guys back another time. Bye-bye. I'm glad we prevented him from getting into a car accident by him calling and staying awake. Because right at the end there, I think I think it's time for bed for Ren. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Wow, that is quite a different story than the last story we heard from Ren, which was the demonic shapeshifter story. Yeah. That was a nice, happy Good, positive, warm, fuzzy feeling story. Yeah. His, I like that. His mom, the ghost, assaulting people with flowers. Well. I like it. <laughs> In a way, it's comforting, right? It is. I, I mean, if, if you could, like, throw a burst of ascent at someone, I think it's probably one of the easiest ways to get them to think of you, if you have a distinctive scent that, that you're associated with. Well, you know? scent is the thing they say is closest tied to memory. I, sure. I don't know if I'm saying that right. 
I, I think, about, what would your mom smell like if, if she came back as a ghost? My mom? Yeah, in the future. Because your mom's still alive, I should say that, first yeah. off. But I'm just saying, if she were to have a smell years from now, what would it be? It'd probably be her perfume. My yeah. mom is one of those ladies that has worn perfume just about every day of her uh-huh. life. And so I think she would smell of whatever her latest fragrance fragrance was at okay. the time. I think my mom would either have, <laughs> I should say cats. No. No. <laughs> no. She doesn't smell like cats. But she loves cats. She has cats. Um, I don't know. Um, their their house has a distinct smell when I go into it just because it's, I mean, it smells like home uh, yeah. from when I was a kid. But I, but I can't say what it, no, it smells like this or that because it's just the accumulation of objects, I think, and what that potpourri scent ends up being is whatever that is of them living in it. Um, if we're going to pick a scent, I don't know. I, I would say lemon, maybe. She always likes lemons. I was going to say vanilla. She likes vanilla, too. I would say lemons or vanilla because my mom does not wear perfume except for one and it's rare when she wears it and it's called lemon lift and I think oh, it's from like Walgreens. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, it smells like lemon and mm-hmm. she always loved lemon and everything. She loves lemon. I talk about her like she's not here. She's here. She'll probably be on the show in a couple weeks or something when they're visiting here at Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like why were you talking about me like I wasn't. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> um so yeah, I, I would go with, with lemon. If you could be a ghost and, and shoot a scent at someone, what would you be? Or what smell would you shoot at them? The peppermint twist lotion from Bath and Body Works that only comes out at Christmas. And I make my bottle last all year long. That's the one I put on at bed. You know, you can buy more than one bottle. I know. I know. That's the cheap ass in me. So You're going to smell like peppermint as a ghost. The yeah. peppermint ghost. It's a good... It's a good scent. I think I'd probably smell like I normally smell after eating a can of Hormel chili. Okay. <laughs> so when there's like, who did that? Oh, dad, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Eating that Hormel chili in the grave. That's funny. <laughs> Just warning you girls when they're listening to this with their children years from now. 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call in. Jane writes in, when my husband and I were first married, we had a lot of issues. As soon as we walked down the aisle, it was like someone just flipped a switch and we suddenly found ourselves arguing and fighting all the time. His parents had come to live with us in America for three months from England. At the time, I felt a lot of resentment towards them because they were not exactly thrilled that he was marrying me. I now understand that this was just a mix of different things. His parents are very superstitious and believed in things like curses, hauntings, and possessions. I absolutely did not believe and thought they were just crazy. A few months after our marriage and after his parents went back to England, my husband and I decided to try something a little unorthodox. I decided that we should write down all of our negative thoughts about each other on separate in separate rooms and then talk about them afterwards. It was around midnight when we sat down at the table to talk. We cried, we shouted, we hugged, we got everything off our chest, and then we killed each other. And I'm writing this from beyond the grave. No, Not. I then had the bright idea. <laughs> we pulled out revolvers. And I then had the bright idea that we should go out to our backyard and burn our list together as a symbol of letting out, letting go of our negativity. We lit the list together and looked at each other and said something to the effect of, we vowed to release all negativity from our minds and hearts. Something cheesy like that. We felt a lot better that night. The next morning, we started feeling a little sick. No fever, no vomiting, but just a little weird. It was hard to explain. 
That night when we were lying in bed, I saw the dark outline of what I thought was my husband on my side of the bed, bending down as if he were picking something up. I sat up and asked him what he was doing. It was dark outside, but the room was very dimly lit by a small nightlight we kept in the hallway. The shadow walked away and vanished. I turned to see my husband sleeping soundly beside me. I shook him awake and told him what I saw. He just mumbled for me to go back to sleep and that I was just dreaming. I checked the front door, the back door, the windows, but they were all securely locked. I slept with the covers pulled over my head like like a five-year-old that night. We were the only people in the house. The next two weeks were all really crazy. My husband and I quit talking to each other. We could barely stand to be in the same room together. After the two weeks was up, I woke up one morning and did my daily routine. As I was leaving to go to work, my husband called me on the phone. I forgot what it was about, but we ended up fighting. I slammed my cell phone down, then my wedding ring, which was made of tungsten carbide, broke into two even pieces. Tungsten carbide is supposed to be very strong metal, and that stuff is not supposed to break. I would say, where did you get it? (laughs) You might want to go check that out. Uh, really, the, the vending machine at the front of the Kmart. Um, that evening, my husband came home, and he wasn't wearing his ring. I asked him what happened, and he said that, his, uh, he said that as soon as he hung up his phone, his wedding ring, which was made of the same material, broke clear in half. Okay, that's creepy. Yeah. Unless they both got them from the vending machine at the front of Kmart. I'm which, sure that is not where they got probably it. Probably not the case. I showed him mine, and we were speechless. He ended up calling his mother and telling her all about it. When we told her we burned the lists, she freaked out. She gave us instructions and sent us these little charms and prayers from England. We followed her words to the letter. It took about three years of hard work with a therapist and a lot of prayer and positive thinking before we mended our relationship. I never saw the shadow figure again, and I swear I never, ever will burn anything again. Every time I hear someone talking about burning Ouija boards, I cringe. You have no idea what you're releasing into your environment, your mind or your soul. Just don't do it. I know that a lot of religions burn incense or prayers to release positivity or attract positivity as an offering to their gods. But burning something when you have no idea what it contains is like playing with spirits, like playing spiritual Russian roulette. Thanks so much. I love your show. Keep it up. You guys are awesome. Okay, I secretly wonder if the in-laws didn't like put some kind of curse curse on them because they didn't like the wife. What do you mean you burned those lists of things you hated about each other? You should have framed them and reminded each other about them every day. I don't know. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I get what puzzles me is the fact that they were like, they just made the list that night and then burned the list is like a symbolism of getting rid of, uh, you know, releasing all of that, uh-huh. which to me seems pretty positive. Yeah. You know, you know, unless all of a lot of that negativity that was there between them was supernaturally based. I don't know. I, I wonder if it was just the release of the physical object that, represented the negativity i don't know i don't know either but it was a great story it was 
It really was. Thanks for sharing. 855-853-4802. 855-853-4802. That's our toll-free phone number. You can call in to share your real ghost story with us. Uh, if you're listening to the show, you know, one of your first times listening, be sure to press the subscribe button on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on so you don't miss any other episodes. We produce these things almost daily. And you press subscribe. It goes right to you. Makes it so much easier. You don't have to search for it every single time. Kara writes in, I used to work in a residential treatment facility for teenage girls. It was originally run by Catholic nuns, but had been taken over by the state, which uh, with oversight from the Catholic Church. Specifically, I worked in the mo- with the most severe, mentally challenged, highest level younger girls. Their ages were from 14 to 16. I worked third shift, which meant watching over the girls uh, as they got ready for bed and as they slept, and I woke them up in the morning for school. I came to work one night, and a huge hubbub was going on with all the staff. It was announced that we would be receiving a very young girl for our dorm. Even though the cutoff is 14, this young lady was 12. Her background was so severe, chaotic, and unreal, the powers that be felt she was in severe enough distress that she would benefit from our program. Part of this poor thing's background was that she had been born during a satanic ceremony. I kid you not. Her mother, her mother was the high priestess of this group, and by virtue of being her daughter, the young lady would also be the next high priestess of the Covenant cult. Now we would hear crazy stories of, the, of our girls' backgrounds quite often. Some you had to take with a grain of salt, but this young lady's birth during a satanic ceremony was videotaped as part of the vetting process. The therapist watched this video. It was explained to the staff who would be working with her, some segments in the birth ceremony, so we might have a greater understanding of the severity of her background. I just know it was horrific. What this newborn went through in her first moments of life, apparently being the next high priestess, caused her to go through further horrors in her short little life to prepare her for the role of high priestess. This young lady was such a sweet little girl and quickly became close with my third shift co-worker. They bonded immediately and my co-worker became what we, ref- what we refer to as her safe staff. The one staff she could always turn to. No matter how much trouble she might cause or get into, that staff would always be there for her. Even as sweet as this little one was, she was in a re- residential program for a reason. When she would have a bad day, she could turn into a demon child. She would scratch, bite, kick staff. She would scream and just create chaos from her frustration. What most of the other girls would do. One night, we got to work after this kiddo had been going through a pretty intense bad day. She was still raging when we arrived for our shift, and she seemed to escalate uh, at the staff, uh, at the sight of her safe staff. However, my coworker was finally able to calm her down enough to fall asleep. But as the night progressed, we both noticed darkness to the dorm, more so than usual. There was heaviness in the air and just a pall over the campus. Other staff even called us to ask if the environment just felt odd, which we agreed it did. Every 15 to 20 minutes, we had to do bed checks just to make sure everyone was sleeping safely. But we noticed each time we go down the hall to this young girl's room, the hall was much darker than usual. We checked the few lights we kept on to see if Annie had blown out. Ironically, the light outside of this young girl's room was in fact blown 
and we could not get another bulb to work in the socket. Each time we changed the bulb on this particular night, it would blow as soon as we started to walk away. We tried three or four different new light bulbs, each one blowing. We finally just left it for maintenance the next day. During the 3 a.m. bed check, yep, 3 a.m., my coworker called me down to the door of this young lady. She asked me to listen. And as we stood there, we could hear what sounded like an animal grunting. We stepped into the room and realized it was a young lady making the noise as she slept. It sounded like my dogs when they began a low, guttural growl. Both of us noticed a chill in the room and became very uncomfortable standing by her bed. My co-worker headed back up the hallway for our desk, which sat in the middle of the hallways. Next thing I know, she has gotten the holy water. Remember, this facility was overseen by the Catholic Church, so each dorm had several vials of holy water and rosaries. And the rosary that we keep in our staff desk and poured a line of holy water outside the doorway. We stood there for a while, listening to the growling sound, but finally went back to the staff desk. For the rest of the night, we do bed checks together. Usually this particular little one would get up several times through the night to use the restroom, but this night she did not. We chalked it up to being worn out from her rages. However, when it was time to get the girls up, my coworker and I went to get this little one up. Again, we went together. She was very slow getting out of bed and actually stopped at the doorway and refused to leave her room. She would not cross the threshold where the holy water had been poured. My, co- my co-worker did everything she could trying to coax the little girl out, but we could not get her to cross the threshold. She s- just stood there inside her doorway, refusing to leave. So my co-worker brought breakfast to the girl's room, gave her extra attention, and tried to calm her down, and finally carried the little girl out of the room. We had a few other odd, strange incidents with this young lady, but this was the most disconcerting Thanks for your wonderful program. Really enjoy. And yes, I've subscribed. Have a great day. Do you think that little girl has any chance of ever leading a normal life? Um, things like that, I think there's ways of it being reversed. I, I, I think it's going to be fairly in-depth and hopefully someone can intervene in her life and help her reverse some of that to, so she can lead a normal life until... Whatever the hell it is that's attached itself to her uh, is reversed. No. Yeah. No. It's she's she's pretty well screwed for lack of a better term until this is addressed properly as more than a mental disorder. Yeah. Because I I think this is a case where there's certainly the girl has mental issues because of what she's gone through. Anyone would. So there's that. It's not all paranormal, and it's not. All psychological. It's a combination of the two here. And I think both need to be addressed. Okay. Your thoughts? No, I agree. I just, I'm not even sure without the, you know, whatever has attached itself to her, not even counting that part, just the psychological damage. Well, that, I mean, that will never, I mean, that's going to exist. I, I thought you were just referring to... You know, the fear of the holy water or, you know, that sort of things. I just meant her as a whole. I Oh, sure. No. I mean, she's yeah. scarred for life. Yeah. I mean, a lot of therapy. You know, can she can she lead a productive, normal, somewhat normal life? Sure. I think with enough counseling and medication and and getting on maintaining that throughout her life. 
Positive role models. Positive, yeah, sure. I mean, there is certainly a path. Whether or not she gets on that path or is led to that path, that's a whole other story. People that would do that to a child... Should be executed. Yeah. They should just find anyone who's trying to do that and like, oh, you, so you did a satanic ritual when you, and you've taped it and you're okay. We're going to put you in this room over here and we're just going to shut the door and turn the oxygen off. (laughs) (laughs) You know, essentially what you do to a, maybe a, an animal, like a rat or something that ate rat poison and you want to kill it humanely. There you go. (laughs) 855-853-4802. 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Do you agree? I do agree. I mean, what's the, I mean, why? How, How insane do you have to be? I figured out what you would smell like as a ghost. What? Fennel spice rub. That would be my smell. Yep. I enjoy putting fennel spice rub on everything. Literally. Yeah. Everything. That or sriracha. Sure. Yeah. Sriracha, I could see. I like hot, uh, anything hot. Sriracha, fennel. I would go with the fennel spice because you kind of get the spice there too. And if our listeners have no idea what on earth we're even talking about with the fennel spice rub, it's the spice rub. Before I went into the world of ghosts here, I was doing a, a cooking show online and some food stuff on TV. And the thing I loved and I, I put on everything uh, was this, this mixture of spices, fennel spice rub, fennel, coriander, uh, black pepper, and a little bit of salt, and you grind it up, and it's delicious. Yeah. And uh, if you'd care to check out the recipe on our YouTube page, if you dig way back into the archives, you can find me cooking a variety of items. There's no ghosts in those videos. No. Although, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody watched some of the food videos, and they're like, oh my God, do you see the orbs? And they're picking up EVPs in the cooking. Huh? Yep, that would be special. <laughs> 855-853-4802 is our phone number. Mary writes, and I had a boyfriend in high school that lived in a haunted house. His family had just rented it and moved in a couple months before he and I started dating. The first time I ever went over to the house, his little brother, who was about eight years old at the time, was really excited that I was there. And he wanted to give me a tour of the house. He led me to the hall, and I noticed he looked a little nervous. When he reached the outside of his room, he said, This is my room, and I don't like it because an old lady visits me at night. She sits in my chair and looks at me like she's mad. And sometimes red lights come up through my floor. I didn't think anything of it and just dismissed it as he was being a little kid. I've seen kids lie, though. Having worked in childcare for many years, he wasn't acting like the typical lying child. He looked like he was genuinely terrified of his room. Still, I dismissed it and didn't really know how to respond. I don't recall what I said, if anything. Later that night, my boyfriend's infant sisters, who were just a few months old at the time, were lying on the living room floor. His little brother had gone to a friend's house. My boyfriend and I were sitting on the couch. His mom and stepdad were there adjacent to us, and the babies were on the floor on a blanket. We were all visiting while the babies lay on their backs on the blanket as they played with a little mobile hanger over their heads. All of a sudden, all of us witnessed these babies scanning the ceiling back and forth. They were too young to fully giggle, but they were making cooing noises like they were trying to giggle, and their heads were moving at the same time back and forth, and their eyes were looking towards the ceiling, not the mobile. As if they were following something moving along the ceiling that only they could see. We all looked at each other, and his mom just said, Yeah, they must be watching a bug or something. 
There wasn't a bug that I could see. I thought it was weird, but I didn't think any more about it. Fast forward to the middle of October, a couple weeks before Halloween, I went to my boyfriend's house. We were carving jack-o'-lanterns in the kitchen with his mom, and we had finished and cleaned up. My boyfriend and I decided to watch a movie in his bedroom, which was located in the basement. He needed to go to the bathroom, though, which was located on the main level, so I said I'd meet him down in his room. He went off to the bathroom, and I turned on the basement light and went down the basement stairs. As soon as I came to the part of the stairs where I could see the entire basement, I saw this glowing ball hovering in the middle of the basement. It wasn't up against the wall or the ceiling. It wasn't a reflection of anything. It was a ball of light, freely hovering in the basement. I hadn't seen it appear. It was just there as soon as I got to the part of the stairs where I could see the basement. The light looked a bit like it was pulsating, and it was opaque, not exactly transparent. I could see a little bit through it, though. It wasn't like a flashlight beam or a light I'd ever seen. It looked almost solid, like it was there, but wasn't there. The color of it was kind of orange-brown, sort of ugly. I think it was more con- I was more confused by it than scared. I was trying to figure out what it was that I was looking at. I thought of every logical explanation, like, is it a reflection? No, because if it was, I, it wouldn't be hovering like that. It would be reflecting off of something, and the reflection would be cast against the wall or the ceiling, not free-floating in the middle of the room. Also, there were no windows in the basement, not even in my boyfriend's room. It was not a light shining in from the outside. It wasn't spots in my eyes. I wasn't tired. I wasn't imagining it. Anything. Never smoked, done drugs, drank alcohol a day of my life. And I was 17. It wasn't like I was some kid who let their imagination run wild. I was so stunned by it that I actually continued to walk past it. I turned back around, and it was still there. I went to my boyfriend's room thinking there must be some explanation that I just couldn't think of. My boyfriend came down the stairs a few minutes later. He didn't see it. It was gone by then. I didn't see it disappear or anything. While it was still hanging there, I just went into his room and closed the door. When he came in, I checked to see if it was still there, and it wasn't, so he must have not seen it. I didn't tell him about it, thinking that he would think I was crazy, or he'd laugh at me and tell me I was being silly. I didn't say a single word. And to this day, he probably still doesn't know that I saw this in his basement. A month or so later, right after my birthday, and about a week before Thanksgiving, my boyfriend and I were on the phone. He was in his room at his house, and I was in my room at my house. He was talking to me. The phone line on his end became static, and the phone seemed like it was breaking up. A few seconds later, my boyfriend stopped talking mid-sentence and started screaming that this glowing orange ball of light had come straight through his closed door and was hovering in the middle of his room. I tried to calm him down over the phone, which was hard, as the line was still half-static. We could only catch about 75% of what, what we were saying to each other. I asked him to describe to me what he was seeing, and he described the exact light I had seen in October of that year. I was so busy trying to calm him down that I didn't tell him that I'd also seen that weird light. At this point, it wasn't the light I was freaking out over. It was my thought that my boyfriend was going to have a heart attack over the phone, and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. He was home alone, and so was I. My parents had their cars, so I couldn't drive to see him, and I had no way to get him. He kept screaming that it wouldn't go away, and he'd actually reached the point of crying. He said it was blocking the door, and he couldn't get out of his room. He was afraid to walk past it. There was a 16-year-old boy who was sobbing almost hysterically over the phone. 
I asked him if he'd ever seen things like this before, and he said no. It was his first time seeing it. The static on the phone stopped, and the line was back to normal. At about that same second, I heard the line go back to normal. He said it disappeared. He described that the the disappearance of the light wasn't a fade-out. It was like it popped in midair like a balloon. He kept me on the phone, and I could hear him racing up his bedroom stairs, and he waited out on the porch and stayed on the phone with me until his parents came home. I never went to his house again after that, and a couple months later, we ended up breaking up anyway. He was a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, kind of like a teddy bear. Over time, he started dressing in all black and acted depressed and getting into gothic stuff and wearing chains on his clothes and whatnot. He dumped me for a girl that looked like a vampire. I don't know if the drastic 180 in his demeanor was related to this paranormal activity going on in his house or he was simply just a 16-year-old boy trying to find himself. Who knows? I didn't think much of it after we broke up. His experience went with the paranormal uh, this experience of the paranormal was a decade ago, and to this day I still cannot explain what I saw. I've not seen anything like it since. Not sure if I believe in ghosts or not, but I definitely experienced some unexplainable phenomena. I don't jump to ghosts unless there's absolutely no other explanation, and since I still have yet to explain this, I have to classify it as paranormal. To my knowledge, my then-boyfriend and his family didn't live there long. I think they only lived there for a year. I don't even remember the address to this house, or even if I would recognize the house if I saw it. The only thing I know about the possible haunting is the neighborhood where they were renting that house was a high crime area, ripe with homicides, drug overdoses. This house wasn't like one you'd think of when you think of a haunted house. It wasn't some Victorian mansion. It was a 1970s, 1980s, Rambler-style ranch house. Kind of your everyday normal house. It barely had a history. But if this house was the site of a homicide or a drug overdose, it wouldn't surprise me. That seemed to be the neighborhood trend. And if that did occur, it wouldn't surprise me if it was indeed haunted. So... Do you think the boy changed because he was made aware that there are things beyond explanation? Or do you think something took over him? I I don't know. I, I, I don't lean towards something took over him. I could see it, you know, him... That probably changed his life a bit. Yeah. His outlook on life and things. And, and you know, a decade ago, that was kind of a popular thing to become yeah the goth type kids so you know popular in an unpopular way i guess you know it wasn't you know trend i don't know i think what you're trying to say is kids that decided to not dress like everybody else that's kind of what they opted to dress like yeah it was very segmented there was the groups of all different folks and that was one of a very popular group uh of people um so i could see it just being you know he just kind of went into that trend, and it was kind of his outlook on life. I don't necessarily think he was possessed or anything. Yeah. I don't know. It just makes me wonder what happened in that house. Yeah, it really does. Are, are, are the goth kids, is that still something that goes on today? Is that is that died out? Is that still like a facet of high schools? or? You know... I don't even know. I uh, haven't seen a goth kid in a long time, but then I'm not really that with it. At, you're not down with the teens? No, because <laughs> our kids are little, so I rarely see high schoolers anymore. Sure. Uh, and I try to avoid malls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although I don't know that they would hang out at malls anymore. 
So I don't know. I'm just asking. Yeah. Most of the, you know, the thing is when I look back at a lot of the goth kids, I was a kid who got along with pretty much everyone. I was not a goth kid. I was pretty much a kid who was working in radio and that was it. I just worked. Um, but I got along with pretty much everyone. And honestly, the goth kids, I would, you know, if they were in my class or something and they sat behind me or next to me, I talked to them. They were some of the most friendly kids that were in school a lot of the times, honestly. Sure. Um, so I really have nothing against them. It was just they were kind of spooky looking. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of like you. I got along with everybody, even though I really didn't hang out with a lot of people. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with anybody, and I don't know that they had a problem with me. Yeah, I was just kind of, I was just there. Right. So there you go. Eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is the phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Here's another letter. It says, "I have two stories. First story: When I was seven, my family and I just came home from a mini family trip." Not too far from our small town. We took the last scheduled bus back to our town that day. We arrived around midnight. Our house was only a few blocks away from the bus depot, so we decided to walk home. I was with my parents and three older brothers. There was a park between our house and the bus depot, a beautiful park. My mom and dad were holding hands ahead of us. My brothers were also ahead of me, but weren't too far. It was a quiet night. No one else was around us, so I thought. As we were passing the park, I had the urge to look over and see if I could see the playground area. Maybe I could quickly go down the slide without my parents noticing. But we were too far away. However, something caught my attention, and I had to look again. There. There she was in the park. A lady in white. She was beautiful, with long, black, wavy hair, and she was smiling at me. She was behind a mini fence that reached up to her waist. The bottom of the fence was visible, and I could see through the other side. I couldn't take my eyes off her, as if I were hypnotized. I stopped following my family. My brother had come back from me and nudged me. He told me to keep walking. I then told him we can't leave the lady behind, and she was all by herself. He looked annoyed and yelled for my dad to come and get me. Because I was being hard-headed... My dad turned around, gave me the eye, and said with a stern voice, Let's go! Again. I pointed at the lady and said, But look! Before I could finish my sentence, he ran towards me, picked me up, and carried me like a baby, and told everyone to hurry home. At this point, I thought he was being so inconsiderate and just plain rude. I looked back, and she was still there, but she was closer, as if she was following us home. She was still behind the fence, but something was off. She looked more like she was gliding than walking, as if she was on a hoverboard. I looked down to see if her, see her feet through the bottom of the fence, and I couldn't see them. I then became scared, and her facial expression changed as if she knew I was scared, that we were all scared. She looked angry, but gliding toward us even faster. My dad looked back again as he carried me home and noticed that she was closer. He ordered my brothers and mom to run, We got home, and my dad locked all the doors and closed all the windows. My dad is an ex-seminarian and knew a lot of prayers when it came to spirits and demons. So he started praying and asked us to join him. In his prayers, he asked God to guide the lady to the light and to find peace. We all saw the lady that night and also saw that she was floating. The next day, I overheard my dad talking to our neighbors. He was asking them if they'd caught the guy that raped and murdered a young lady in the park weeks prior. He then told them that we all saw her, at least her ghost. He refused to talk about it with us. 
We brought it up again years later. He told us that he wasn't, that it wasn't because he was afraid of ghosts. But he didn't want it following us home because it was a lost soul trying to find its way home. He said that we weren't the only ones she appeared to that year. There were others. I'm not sure if she's still there. My family left her, migrated to the city years later. Second story, my brother and I were at his newly built house, rearranging a few things on the second floor, when we heard the TV in the living room turning on. This was 15 years ago, before smart TVs were introduced. He went down, turned it off. Minutes later, it turned back on. We looked at each other on both sides, and I went down to turn it off. As I got back to the second floor, it turned back on again. At this point, we were annoyed. My brother told me he'll fix it later. So one more time, he went downstairs to turn it off and unplug it. But to his surprise, it was already unplugged. Then he thought there might be some leftover charge, so he turned it off again. The TV turned on again. This time, my brother and I decided to just leave it on. He told me it should turn off any second because leftover charge shouldn't last for that long. Minutes had gone by and the TV was still on and the volume got louder and louder. We looked at each other, bolted out the door, waited for my sister-in-law to come home. We were probably outside for a good hour until we decided to go back in. But just minutes before going back in, we could still hear the TV outside. When we went back in, the TV was off. My sister-in-law didn't believe us. My brother's TV wasn't that old, but decided to get rid of it anyway. With the new TV, it never turned on by itself, but radios in the house have. But he just ignored them. Love your show. Love you, Jenny. Love your voices. It is weird that I find them soothing. Is it weird that I find them soothing? Keep it up. If you have pe- uh, pet apparel, I'd also buy some for my dogs. Well, there's an idea. <laughs> Okay, have you ever had an experience? You've you've dealt with so much more electronic stuff than I have. Uh-huh. Uh where something's held a charge to where it's not that long. Not that long? No. Okay. No. I mean, you can on old TVs, um it's very common. Um and when I say old TVs, I once we were saying the other day, it's like, remember you just turn a TV on, it would turn on. Now it's like it has to boot up, it has to load, load the menu. And I'm talking, press the button, it's on. Tube TVs is right. what I'm referring to. I miss those days. They're heavy as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they work. You press them and, you know. Um, those would hold the charge. Okay. Um, and you could unplug it. You could turn it on. And usually you're not going to even be able to see anything. I mean, it would just be, you can turn it on and it would light up really quick and boom, you know, down to that little dot in the middle of the screen. Yeah. It would go boom, boom, and then off. Not turning on, letting you watch shows, or certainly not increase the volume or this or that. Um, that is extremely paranormal for something like There's no explanation for that. Okay. So, other than that was a ghost. Yeah. So, very, very creepy. 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Shall we do uh, a call here before we go to Cisco? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, here's a call. Hello. Hi, Tony and Jenny. Uh, this is my second attempt to make this email work. Um, I want to tell a story about my friend Nathan and a ghost that we encountered. In this, house. this is Scott from Portland. Sorry, I probably should have started with that. Uh, Scott from Portland, recent EPP, love the show. Anyway, uh, my friend Nathan uh, lives here. He He's my friend from high school, and he, used, he still lives uh, in the same town that we 
we went to high school in. But at that time, when we were living there, he lived in a house just five, six houses uh, or blocks away from mine. And we were just recently friends. Uh, we had just met, and we decided we were going to try to make a night of hanging out. So we got some pizza. You know, we had a plan to, like, wait for his sister to go to bed, and then uh, we were going to go downstairs and watch movies. But for the time being, we were hanging out upstairs in his room, which is at the end of the long hallway uh, on the second floor of the house. Um, and he has a, a narrow, long room with a big window on the far wall. Uh, away from the front or away from the room's door, and then there was uh, s- sort of an arrangement to make sense of the long but narrow room. So there was a desk in his room directly across from the door to the room, um, and then with his computer on it and a chair there, and then there was a chair on the inside of the room just to the right of the door when you walked in, um, and then there was his bed to the right beyond that and the closet to the left. So this is his room set up trying to give you guys a diagram, a mental diagram. Uh, and then there was the hall that stretched all the way down to his parents' bedroom, which is at the far end. And in the middle, in between the two rooms, was his sister's bedroom and his bathroom. Um, and this is the situation that we were in. So that night we were just hanging out and we were waiting for his sister to go to bed because she was a little kid. She was uh, nine or ten. And when, when we heard her going to bed, we were going to go ahead and move downstairs and then, you know, hang out and have a good time. Well, uh, we heard somebody coming up the stairs uh, in their old house. Everything creaked and moved and shifted. So you could pretty much hear where everyone was. You just, you know, took a moment to listen. Um, and so we heard somebody coming up the stairs and assuming it was his sister and that it was time for us to move downstairs, we both uh, looked up from where we were sitting. I was sitting in the chair to the right of the door. He was sitting in the chair at the desk. He, we were looking at his computer because he was showing me his video game. We both looked up at the window where, uh, being that it was night outside, it just was reflecting everything from the hall off of it. That was where the source of light was. And we saw some. We both saw the exact same. She was coming down the hallway toward the bedroom at a decent pace. And she was dressed in a white gown. She had no shoes, uh, no, like, gloves or anything, just arms and feet. Um, and she had dark black hair, but she didn't have her face covered, like, at the Japanese horror films, uh, like the grudge or anything. She was just, just couldn't make out what her face looked like. She was there, and she was coming toward us. And Nathan and I both flinched, both jumped, because we didn't know who this was. It wasn't his sister, it wasn't his mom. Uh, his mom was an old lady, like a fairly old, decrepit-style lady. And his sister was a nine-year-old girl. Um, and it certainly wasn't his dad with polio and the cane. So this was definitely something that shook us. We both jumped, and as having seen the same thing, I and mean, we both reacted at the same time. I turned my, my body to the left to look out the door and down the hall to see who that was, and he spun around in his desk chair. And we both, at the same time, managed to look up the hallway. There was no one there. There was nobody in the hallway. And so we, we both looked up again. Well, he jumped up out of his chair, and I turned to look at the, the window to see the reflection. But there was nothing. The reflection of the lady was gone. There was no the hallway. Um, and we were both just surprised, scared. Had no idea what to do it. But this ghost had apparently been around for a while. Um, this is the first 
his house and cheated. But the fact was that we had both seen it, so we knew we weren't crazy because we both saw it at the same time. We both heard her coming upstairs at the same time, um, and we were both just completely taken aback by the situation. Well, this, I guess, happened a few more times to him when I wasn't around, where he could see her, but then wouldn't see her. Um, and he was a little concerned about it. So I went off to college a couple of years later and invited him to come out there with me. And we went to, I was going at that time to Southern Oregon University, which has a, a pretty high rate of supernatural stories uh, surrounding it. Not sure why, but that's kind of the thing down there. But uh, he came down to visit me, and he was there for a little while. Um, and it was the first week. He was there for, I think, two or three weeks. And it was within the first week that he was there visiting that uh, we were we were walking through the cafeteria, and there was this hallway that led down to one of the dorm buildings because uh, they were all attached to the main or cafeteria. And he was talking to somebody... Uh, on a phone, on his on a cell phone, and wasn't paying attention. And he he walked into one of the dorm areas, but I stopped because I, I thought I heard somebody say something, but I couldn't make out what the sound was. And I turned and looked down this long hallway toward the dorm, and I, I didn't see anyone there. There was no one there, but I just got the feeling that there was somebody standing there looking at me. Um, and I couldn't make out any button. There was no, like, you know, shiftiness. There was no, you know, shadows. There was no, like, weird biting issues. It was just, it was just like feeling that there was something there. Um, so I just kind of looked for a bit, maybe I could figure it out, but um, just feeling creeped out and I gave up and walked into the, the dorm area where he thought he was on the phone, chit-chattering, nothing, etc. Well, then uh, a couple days later, I was in that same area where he had gone. And I was hanging out with my friends, and he wasn't with me. He was with some other people, um, and he was supposed to be joining us later. Well, then he he came running in, and he was panting, and he was sweating. He he didn't want to talk about it or why he was so freaked out at the time because there were other people around. But when it was just the two of us, he said uh, to me that he was walking through the cafeteria and saw her, the girl from his house, in the reflection of one of the windows. And I told him about how I felt like there was somebody standing there looking at us the other day, but I didn't know. I didn't see anyone, so I didn't see anything to freak him out. He was out at the park where all the supernatural stuff happens in the town where the university is, and he was with someone, and there was this person that he was with. They had no idea about the story about the girl, um, had no idea what was going on. Uh, but she was there. They were on a date, naturally. And they were hanging out and just talking at this park, and it was at night, and it was kind of windy, and they heard somebody say something, and I guess they both looked over to where the sound was, and it wasn't uncommon, it was a public park, they weren't weirded out or surprised that they saw anybody. Um, people were kind of walking around the area anyway. But they heard someone say something, and they looked over, and they both saw this woman. Uh, and I talked to the girl that she was on the with, and she said she did she she didn't know that it was a ghost. She just saw this girl. And she saw this girl, too. And they were just... This girl, this older woman at that time, young, um, and she was looking at them. And I guess she just kind of looked at them for a while, and they kind of just stopped paying attention to her. But Nathan told me that he immediately recognized her. And he was, you know, she was still in the 
described her the same way the girl that was on the date who lived in the area that was trying to tell them she should get apart. So they left. Um, and apparently they covered her really well, but she was scared. And they never went on a date again, so that was the end of that. But he also never really saw the girl again. And we're not sure what was going on with that girl or why we could see her sometimes, not other times. But for a certain, she was no longer in his house because we never saw her again. Um, and we were never sure why she left. But my guess was that it had something to do with the girl that's on the part. Um, so anyway, that's the story about my friend Nathan and about this entity that I guess was just following him around, um, but that we both were aware of from about 17, or about 16 to about uh, 18, uh, and then it just went away. So uh, that's our story. I hope you guys like it. I hope that uh, it shows up in our show. There you go. I, uh, I think they were being followed around by something. Yeah, it sounds like the girl from the movie The Ring. <laughs> was he dating the ghost at the end? No. The friend? No, the friend was dating somebody and the ghost kind of stood there and watched him and then she went away. Hmm. Maybe she was jealous. I wonder if the friend had something going on with a ghost that he didn't tell his other friend about. No, that's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> hey. <laughs> the show is called Real Ghost Stories Online. I know, and that's ridiculous for ghost stories. <laughs> We've heard stories of ghosts having relations with humans before. Yeah, most of the time we don't share those when we get those. We don't? There's some that we get that are just so far out there, really. Yeah, well, yeah there's been a couple. You're right. You're right. Have, you, have you come across any lately? No. Okay, that's probably a good thing. That's <laughs> the kind of disturbing <laughs> when we do hear about them. Ah, uh, yes. If you have a real ghost story, let us know about it. 855-853-4802. Cisco is joining us, and many of you know Cisco. She's a longtime listener of the program. Thank you for uh, coming on the show uh, this evening, Cisco. Uh, as we are in the month of October, and you sent me some of these pictures earlier uh, in the year. Last October, last Halloween, actually, you went on a bit of an excursion to one of the most haunted places in the United States, uh, probably in the world, Gettysburg. Before you tell us about the experiences that you had there, what made you think, hey, Halloween night, Gettysburg, why not? Well, um, I've always felt the pull. It's kind of an unnatural pull uh, towards Gettysburg. Um, it's uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's it's a draw. And it's not just us for battlefields, because I've been on other ones. But this one, it just, um, let's just say it kept calling me. Okay. And um, uh, my sons, I have two sons, they're in their 20s now, and I have never taken them, taken them with me on anything I've ever done, as far as going for clients or going to help them or going on any of the other things I do. I always kept them away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were there when it happened, fine. But um, this one... Um, I kind of had a lot of reasons for going. Basically, if you know, if you remember any of the things I've told you before, basically my thing is to help. You know, it's not for evidence. It's not for provoking to get pictures or anything like that. It's basically uh, my heart goes out to um, these people who are trapped or stuck or confused. And um, if there's anything I can do with the gifts that I've been given, it's going to be to help them. Okay. And, um, I took, uh, I asked both my boys, I said, uh, well, if you would like to go spend Halloween night on the battlefield with your mom, grab your gear, let's go. 
Mm-hmm. And we just kind of did it last minute. And uh, we went and um, I told them basically their job was just to, you know, stand out of the way and just to, you know, keep putting protection down and, you know, do whatever else they wanted to do. If they wanted to use like a thermometer or night vision or anything like that, you know, that they wanted to check out. But my honest thought was, I hope they see something that they can take with them in life and always know that there's something out there and uh, that it doesn't all just end here. And uh, that can really be life changing. So, and uh, I think, I think we got it. (laughs) So, So tell us about what you got when you got there. What were some of the most compelling experiences that you had? Well, the very first thing, it was very quick. It was two days and one night. So we were all very um, speeding around, and uh, there was a lot of things working against us. Remember last year, they even closed down all the uh, the national parks and everything last year. Oh, yeah. And I just, yeah, and I just kept uh, planning it, you know, thinking, you know, surely if they want me to, like I told you before, they want me to do it, you got to help me. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a lot of ways, I think they did. And uh the first thing we did was we went to the National Cemetery, and right there, um, I think I sent you a picture of it. It's it's part national, the National Cemetery, and then there's a um, a wrought iron fence, and then the other side is evergreen, and that's where the Gettysburg Address was. So uh, we had some time to kill before our first thing that we had planned, and I went in there, and it was one of those times where I told my guys, just, you know, Mama's got to go do something in here, you know, and I'm a soldier myself. I was in the Army. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went in there to just to say a prayer to my fallen brothers, you know. And uh, I'm standing in the center, and it's like a pie. Um, it, like the sidewalk makes a circle, and then it's all cut like a pie. And there's some unknown soldiers in there from each war, from revolutionary on up. And um, I was feeling a little bit of a pull there. If you don't remember, I'm an empath and mm-hmm. sensitive. And I'm not a medium. I'm more of an extra small. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> <Putting> it. <laughs> I'm an extra straw because I don't like to work with the medium stuff too. I, I don't want to see them. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. but again, I am not a seer, which is my thing is I usually hear people that have already crossed. Okay. So I don't have anything with me. I have to go completely on feeling. And I'll tell you, walking into any part of Gettysburg, you just feel like this big lead blanket and somebody's stepping on you. The, the, the emotion, I mean, you have to put yourself there. The, the amount of falling, you know, the the ground remembers, the rock remembers. It's 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 a, it's a hard place for anybody, let alone an empath, okay? Mm-hmm. That evening was the biggest. Uh, the second day, I'm going to tell you real quick, uh, was the wheat field. And again, I walked up into it and said, I got to do this alone, you know. And uh, I don't know if you know the story of the Wheatfield, but it was a horrible, they're all horrible battles. But this one is about a mile. I know you can maybe see in the pictures, there's lots of tall wheat there. Mm-hmm. And the wheat on that day in July uh, was about 96, 98 degrees. And the wheat was a little higher than it is in the pictures. So if you can imagine hand-to-hand combat with the smoke and everything else during that field, it must have been horrible for mm-hmm. these poor young guys. And... Um, they laid there that night after the battlefield and after the day battle, they usually stopped because they couldn't see. They'd go back to their, um, their sides and, uh, to have to sit there along that fence, along that rock line and listen to their comrades yelling out in pain and then help me and not being able to go out there and help them is bad enough. The emotion on that field is so overwhelming. And, um, I just had to do something. 
And I, we just got so oppressed. You know, my sons could barely even speak. I said, you got to get off, get off the field, go out there and just let me be. Mm-hmm. And I'll, and I'm going to do this alone. So again, I didn't know what to do. And it was like, you're, I'm standing and you could just feel the oppression. It's just like, they're almost standing all around you. And again, I didn't have anything with me to communicate. I could only speak and feel what was going on. And I just, I was compelled to just do something that they could relate to both sides in that time period. And I sang Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. And I did two, two, two verses of it. And then I stopped. And I mean, it was, my tears were just running. And at that point in time, I said, do you mind? Can I have your permission? And when I was done uh, to just take some pictures and I stood in the 360 and I took pictures. I took about seven. Mm-hmm. And when I got home, when I got back in the car, that was at the end of our trip. I noticed the pictures and I don't know if you guys can see them. Usually people, I haven't shown them to that many, but, um, I told my son, pull over the car. You got to look at these. And he saw them right away. And you can see the little heads popped up above. Can you see them? It's above a, the fence line? This that one. Let me try and pull it up bigger. If you look over the fence line, mm-hmm. um, I took basically what it was is the first one was the picture where you can see the monument and the cut in the wheat. Yep. That was the first snap. And then I turned. And I took you, there's a long split rail fence and I took three there mm-hmm. in two of the pictures. You can see a man uh, just lifting his head above the fence line. He's wearing almost like a captain's hat. You can see his jawline. And then right next to him to the right, there's a tree. And on that tree, you can see one poking out behind and the other one with like a black, almost like a bowler hat and a longer hair and a black vest. And the thing that almost convinced me that it wasn't matrixing, that could be, who knows. But in one picture, and I don't fit both, but in one picture, his arm was down and the other one, he was almost up like he was pushing off the tree. And the next one, you're not there anymore. Very strange. Let me ask you about. Let me ask you about this with with the battlefields of Gettysburg and with there being so many uh, ghosts, for a lack of a better term, that uh, appear to be there. Was it? Do you believe everyone who was in those battles that is still haunting those fields? Is it only certain ones that are still haunting those fields? Who stayed? Who left? Why? You know, why is if some? Why is there not other? I mean, that, that's my question. I mean, is it just sheer well, numbers and that's why know, it's so heavy there? I just think it's, all, well, you know, what, over 50,000? Yeah, so I guess by sheer numbers, I mean, yeah, that would be the, that yeah, would make yeah. the most sense. Right. So even if it was, you know, I have no way of telling you that if, if this is them in, in the picture, I have sure. no way of telling you whether it's residual, yeah. an energy imprint, yeah. um, a, a, an intelligent haunt, I have no idea. Or a giant but mix of me, everything. Right, right. Or, you know, but to me, the way the arm was down and then pushing off, mm-hmm. you know, the tree, that's the one that, you know, like a couple of people I've showed it to really it blew them away. The thing that got me even more than that was when I turned again, I got... The pink mist, you see the one with just nothing but pink? It looks like pink smoke. Yeah, I was going to ask if you, because what it looks like is is like a, an affected picture through Instagram or something of that nature. But I'm assuming this is how the picture just came out naturally. Just came out naturally. And the uh, one right next to it, I sent you the one right after that, and you can see the road. That was the picture right after the pink mist. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking across the field, 
that was nothing but that energy. Mm-hmm. And then across halfway across nothing but clear again. I'm like, wow, yeah. you know, it can't be sun. I was, nobody was smoking a cigarette. I was the only one in the middle of the field. And when I got home, I looked up, it was odd that you said about color, colors of orbs and mist mm-hmm. is the same type of thing. The color of that, the pink, it's almost like a, a hot pink, yeah. is love, accommodating, uh, peace with God. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of charts say that about pink, and I'm thinking, maybe, just maybe, Amazing Grace gave them just a little piece, no matter what side they were on, that was something that they could share. Because there wasn't a lot else I could do. It was so overwhelming, you know? So I don't know. There's another question mark. I, I've heard you a lot. Can, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of stories of that field, um, even on this show from folks of of that unexplained fog or mist that comes over those areas. And I believe there's even like investigations as to why it occurs in that area, and it's been fairly unexplained. Yeah, and it so, actually yeah. it smells like gunpowder still to this day. Yeah. Right? Yeah, very interesting. Okay, continue on. What else you got from your from your uh, okay, excursion? Okay, well, the night before. <laughs> The night before was even was even better. That was the big one. Um, a lot of things happened to get along the way there. Odd things. I won't take up your time talking about those, but they were just all like, "Well, here we go," mm-hmm. you know, because this is where they're leading us to. Sure. Um, you can't get on the national park, especially in Halloween night. I can't tell you there was more there was more security there than there was anything else. Yeah. You know, um, because they expect this type of thing. So you had to go with a group that could get on. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to the to the guy that was taking this little group on. And it was about 11 o'clock at night, Halloween night. Mm-hmm. And uh, his name was Joe, and he was very jaded and very kind of like forlorn about things. He's very tall, about 6'2", wearing uh, um, full uniform. So he was very um, ominous. You know? sure. <laughs> very, but he was very sad, you know. And he had been doing this a while, and he gave us his little speech and everything, and I listened to him, and he looked at my two boys, and then he kind of looked around again, and, and he started talking about provoking, and he said, well, I took, you know, last week we took a guy out here, thought he was being smart, he got punched in the stomach. A lady got slapped two nights ago. I mean, he just went on and all these, you know, um, telling stories about where we were going and not to be disrespectful, not to be rude. And I raised my hand, and I said, look, I'm here to tell you this. You know, it was very few people. There's only six people other than it was six total, including myself and my and my um, my uh, sons. Okay, not very large group. And uh, I told him, I said, we don't have to worry about that from us. I said, I'm a soldier. I come with love and respect, and so were they. I said, you don't have to worry about that through us. So when we left, kind of hung back to the back, and I said, hey, Joe, I got to ask you a question. Said as a soldier, I said, uh, and he told me he was too. And I said, look, I I didn't come here for the tour. So, well, what did you come for? I said, I'm going to cross him. And he just looked at me, and I said, they've been here long enough, Joe. I said, if there's anybody out there that'll talk to me, and then they'll listen. So we're going to cross him. Will you let me do that? And he said, what do you need me to do? And I said, just when I say stop, I need to stop here. Just take the rest of the group on and let me and my boy be here. Trust me. And he looked at me and he said, okay. So we went walking and we're in the field. Now, I mean, it's not that, I mean, it's, it's out by a school, but it's a football field and then a, a woods. And we walked out and we're walking along and Joe's talking to me and we're asking questions. He's saying his little skills. And I had taken with me dousing rods and the EMF meter because I needed something 
that they could communicate with me other than feeling, mm -hmm. you know? And the boys took a thermometer, night vision, some other stuff. And um, we started walking by this big tree. And I stopped there. And EMF went off a little bit. And I just looked up. Just had a feeling. I knew. And I tapped the tree. And I said, hey, Joe. And he goes, what? And I said, this tree. He goes, oh, yeah, that's a witness tree. That tree was here during the battle. It saw everything. And I said, yeah, I know. They're sitting in it. Go. And he just looked at me and smiled and winked and took the rest of the group off, which I thought was awesome as he trusted me to do this. And I told boys, come on. So we got there and I just laid the EMS meter down and I started. And I said, uh, basically I told him my name and I said, uh, I'm here out of respect and love. I said, if you can feel that, this light this box up. I'm not here to waste your time. I'm here to help. Can you feel that? Trust me. And the box starts to light up. You know what I mean by EMS meter, but the lights? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I laid it down because I couldn't hold that and do the dousing rod at the same time, but I thought the dousing rod, they might be able to communicate a little better uh, around their time. Mm -hmm. So I held those and I laid it down on my feet and I said, can you cross these, me these rods for me for yes? And before I got it out of my mouth, they started crossing. And I laughed and I said, okay, you've done this before. And I said, that's what I'm here to talk to you about. And I just talked to them like I'm talking to you right now. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, I realize you're probably a little tired as it's happening, but I'm not here to waste your time. I'm, uh, you know, I don't care what side you fought on. And I introduced my sons and I said, they were born in Alabama. I was born in New Jersey. I said, somehow we all came together along the way. Your fight is over. Do you feel that? And the, every time... Tony, Jenny, I promise you, as God is my witness, my hand above my heart, Scout's honor. Every time I asked the question, the EMF meter would go yes, and the dousing rods would cross yes, uncross, and the EMF meter would go off. Mm -hmm. Like they were so, they were so in tune with this. Yeah. And I told them, I said, um, I don't know why you're still here. I don't know why you're, if you're confused or if you're stuck. Um, may I ask the uh, commanding officer, the, the highest ranking officer here, I said, I was a soldier, and that's what I'm here as a soldier and a mom and a wife, and I'm here out of love and compassion. And um, please trust me with this. May I speak to your commanding officer? And I felt it change. Now, each time I'm standing here as an empath, and I've been doing this kind of thing a while, I can tell you I'm talking at this point to three different separate energies. Mm -hmm. But I can feel there's more. And uh, one kind of stood up, and my son told me at that time afterwards that the temperature in front of me was 20 degrees lower. Wow. wow. I mean, yeah. And I, he didn't even tell me at that point in time because they weren't talking. I was kind of in the zone, and they just were kind of praying and, and paying attention, you know. And um, I said... Uh, Am I speaking to the highest ranking uh, officer at this point in time? And it said, yes, yes, yes. Now, Joe walks up at this point in time, puts a, sees what's going on, puts a flashlight at my feet. And they never even had to have any prompting at that point in time. Right away, for yes, the flashlight went on, the EMF went up, and the dousing rods crossed. Uncrossed, off, off, to every single time. Mm -hmm. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. So I asked him, I said, uh, have you noticed? 
Now, there was about 20 minutes of conversation here, but I'll tell you the high points. Um, I said, have you noticed that things are different? Even if it's just sometimes, do things look different? Do people look like they're dressed different? Do they speak different? Yes. And at that point in time, the flashlight seemed to get actually brighter when it was on, almost like they were accentuating the yes. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. you know, like, wow, you know, that kind of thing. The EMF got brighter. Of course, the dowsing rods just crossed. And um, I said, okay. I said, "Um, I need to tell you this. I remember what you did here today. Many people remember what you did here today. You will not be forgotten, but your battle is over. And uh, I need to know, have you ever seen a bright light? And I got a hesitant yes, and then it went yes again. Like they were trying, almost like he was trying to remember. And we then talked about past loved ones. Do you have, because at this point in time when you're doing this, you have to try to get them to focus on the love energy. Um, their loved one, their wife, their children, um, is something because they've gone over and over and over so many times. It's almost hard to remember what that love felt like. Mm-hmm. You can remember the missing, but, you know, remember the loved one when you hugged them, how you felt, that kind of thing. And this one of the saddest parts about this whole conversation was the one that was standing to my left and in front of me. When I asked about loved one, it felt like he was hesitating with the EMF meter. I mean, that was the only thing that was kind of starting to blink. And I picked up the feeling at the same time that he was basically telling me who could love me, you know, who who could love me. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, if you know what this battle was like, it, it, it was horrid. I mean, there was prisoners and there was, there was 16-year-old kids. It was horrid what went on here. Um, and I, I, I said to him, I said, honey, I'm, and I told just like, I'm telling you, honey, I'm a soldier. I understand. I said, but did you ever have, did you fight next to someone who was a comrade who felt like a brother to you? Yes. Okay. Did you love him? Yes. That's love. I need everybody to focus there. And at that point in time. I call, I said, everybody focused there. And that's when like my sons were really, really, you know, kind of praying there. And I called everything I could call. I called my angels, their angels, their spirit guides, their loved ones. I said, now come and get them, come and get them, come and get them. Mm-hmm. And I told the debating officer, I said, do you see it? Can you see the light? I didn't get an answer. When you see it, light everything up. And everything lit up at the same time. And I could feel like almost a change in the energy. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. Now, for those of you who didn't leave because you're soldiers, I can do this because I'm a soldier. Your duty's finished here. You're properly relieved. Go get your hard-earned peace. Go. And you could feel a lift. And at the very last, that one officer, I promise you, I felt him still standing there. And I go, go. And the dowsing rod started to cross. Like, I thought he was saying yes. And then you could feel a pull, almost like a vacuum Mm -hmm. in front of me. And I thought the dowsing rods just let go and kind of were like bouncing from the let go. Mm-hmm. But they kept coming, Tony. They kept coming. And I was wearing a black heavy leather jacket. And they came up to my arms and they squeezed. And I got a hug. 
on a battlefield from a ghost that night. And then he left. Wow. And that was my experience on the battlefield. <laughs> That's Halloween one hell of an night. experience. Wow. Yes. Do, do some, do you th- is that what some of them need? They, they need that connection. They need someone from this side to tell them, you know, that, that things are done, things yes. are over, it's okay? Not all of them left. Not all yeah. of them left. Um, I got, I was counting seven mm-hmm. in front of me, but at times I could count you could feel there was more behind that were just really like almost at the same time I had to like kind of block out the feeling because it was like one of them was almost behind and patient. What do you listen to this for? This happens all the time, you know, in their stuff. I had to be very careful how I spoke. This was a time where husband and wife went into town and they called each other, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You have to be careful and respectful. And, um, and at one point in time, I looked up and the guy, Joe, the, the and I was like, like I said, six foot four, and mm-hmm. just, you know, he's got tears rolling down his face. And everybody who was standing, just my sons, everybody else was about a football field away. Sure. You could almost see their light. And um, it was just one of the most beautiful things. You know, I know that uh, Mark Nesbitt brought a chap- chaplain up in Farnsworth one night and um, to get to get those guys to cross and they had to do the same thing. And, and he was in chaplain, um, in a uniform, in a union uniform. And they got an EVP that when they did the same thing, you know, do you see the light? You need to go into that. You know, you're, you're relieved. He said, heaven. And he was gone. So this was very much like that. And I had never heard of anybody getting a hug from dousing rods. When I got home, I got, I Googled it just to see, I'm like, am I crazy? What, you know, I know that that's what it was. And a a girl in um, a paranormal team in in Canada uh, helped a little girl cross into the light. And right before she left, she hugged her with a dousing rod. And I said, man, I got hugged by a ghost on the battlefield. Is it more difficult to get soldiers to cross over because of their sense of duty that they feel like they can't leave their their post, I guess, for lack of a better term? Well, some of them, I can tell you this. um, I know that some of them are just, they get caught in a loop. And they're in that state where they're just caught in that loop and they just keep repeating it over and over, which is extremely sad. Um, And then some are just, the way I was getting it that night is there was one little, actually like, you know, the grove there where the trees are, that was the one thing that wasn't changing. That tree wasn't changing. Things around them were changing, but that wasn't. And they were kind of stuck in that right there but there was a couple of them there when i was asking and talking to them basically it's like we can't go there because of the things that we've done here you know these poor guys when they ran out of ammo were were fighting with i don't even know how to say it out loud but they're fighting with the arms Mm -hmm. that were you know they're fighting with what they had hands and you know and they they were taught that you can't go into it. It took me a good 15 minutes to, to just describe to them that there was nothing but love and, and, and understanding and their loved ones in that light, you know, that it was okay to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you never know, you know, all you can do is go by feeling and the things that were changed around. I mean, as soon as that happened, the temperature went back up in front of me. I mean, there was definitely some evidence, you know, there as far as that goes. Um, the pictures and the mist, the, you know, the guys in, in, on the line, you know, you can look at that and go, nature singer, this or that. But 
you know, we'll never really know because we've outtecked ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. Photoshop this and that. But I can tell you in my gut, in my heart, we crossed some souls that night. And if it had been my kids, if it had been me, I'd want somebody to go out there and uh, respectfully do the best they could to bring some peace and some calm. But um, like I said, we'll never know. But about three months after that, I had a very vivid dream, just like Jenny described, coming down the tunnel of the airport, you know, coming out of the the airplane, you know, and having somebody, you know, at the end of the tunnel, your loved ones at the end. That was beautiful, Jenny, by the way. I've never heard it described better. Thanks. And I'm coming down that tunnel. I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Five People You Meet in Heaven, but for some reason I was thinking that because I recognized a couple of my loved ones in this like light, but it was more shadowy, kind of like a bright light behind people. You don't really see the people. And there was this one young face and I'm looking and I'm thinking in, in the five people you meet in heaven, you meet people that you wouldn't even think that you made an impact on in your life. And for some reason I'm remembering that in this very vivid dream. And I walked right up to him and I went to shake his hand and say, you know, if I met you and he grabbed my hand and pulled me to him and he's standing there, he's wearing suspenders and the, uh, kind of a, a, a funny button down shirt and stuff and his hat in his hand. He put his hat in one hand and he reached out and he grabbed my hand. He pulled me to him. He whispered in my ear and he smelled like corn. I, I can't get past the fact that he smelled like fresh corn, not corn, cream corn, but the cornfield. Mm-hmm. Like if you break a corn, an ear of corn, he smelled like that. And he whispered in my ear, he said, you spoke to me on the field. And I just started crying and behind him were seven other faces and I woke up. So, and I still smell corn, which was weird, wow. but we'll never know. Yeah. We'll never know. Was that a dream? Was that a visitation? Question marks all over the place, you know, but, um, that was my experience, and it was awesome. I think so. you did some good there that night, Cisco. Thank you for sharing the story with us. You are more than welcome. Thank you for letting me. And I love you both, and happy anniversary, and many, 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 many more. You're doing a lot of good out there. And there you go. That wraps up our uh, anniversary episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. We've been in existence for one year. Does it feel like it's been a year? Uh, no, it kind of feels like just yesterday I went into the office here and said, Honey, I'm going to do a ghost show now for an hour. You know, like, okay, yeah, have fun. Yeah, I was gone most of those nights yeah. until you <laughs> wanted me to just join you just this one time. And look where that got And me. did you think you were, what did you think? I didn't think it'd turn into my career. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but I'm loving it. Well, good. I'm glad you're glad you're here. And I think uh, most people uh, would say the exact same thing. So. And I appreciate that. And you thought you know, I was just crazy going into the office to talk about ghosts and play radio station for an hour. I embrace yeah. all your forms of crazy. There I you do. Go. See, sometimes they work out. They do. <laughs> so, uh, very soon uh, we'll be potty trained here. Right? No, actually, that comes like at year three ish, right? Yeah, we're just now a toddler. We're learning to walk. That's right. Still wetting ourselves. Yep. All right. There we go. I'm glad we established that part. Everybody needs to know that. If you're not an EPP yet, you like the show to continue, please consider being one. It's five bucks a month, or you can do a whole year membership uh, right there. Uh, 60 bucks for the whole year. You get a bonus episode every single week. It's uh, equating to 52 bonus episodes over the course of the year, and your contribution goes to keep our show alive. So uh, check it out at realghoststoriesonline.com. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode, and for a first great year of Real Ghost Stories Online.